Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today I'm excited to host Andy Lodato, who's a very dear friend and one of the individuals who helped me start the show about a year and a half ago. Now, Andy started his career out as a computer programmer and quickly realized that he was as passionate about business as he is about technology. Andy believes that the intersection of business and technology is where innovation truly happens and where people and companies either succeed or fail. Now, after spending more than 20 years as a CIO and a CTO, Andy currently serves as the COO of the Vitamin Shop. Andy is also a member of the CNBC Technology Executive Council, the New York City CIO Executive Council, and is a founding member of the George Mason University's Center for Retail Transformation. I think the most interesting thing Andy's been up to since we last spoke was writing his first book, Fostering Innovation, How to Build an Amazing IT Team. We dive into the book's content heavily throughout this episode, covering a wide range of topics of what Andy's experienced throughout his career. And I hope you pick up a copy and enjoy today's episode. Hello, Andy. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me back. This is so fun. You were like episode number one, a year and a half, almost two years ago, back before my rebrand, back before a lot of life changes and before COVID pretty much left us, which has been a nice change of pace. So I'm so excited to hear what you're up to now. I know you made the best use of your time during COVID. So I want to talk a lot about really what came out of that period for you, but let's start first with just what's new in the vitamin shop world today. Fast forward, we've survived COVID. People are back in stores. What are you guys up to today? Yeah. So things are good at the vitamin shop. Um, what people are buying has changed dramatically. So everybody was very focused on immune products, the vitamin C, vitamin D, and of course, immune is still important, but now people are getting back in the gym. And so they're buying uh, proteins and pre-workouts and ready to drink. And then uh, creatine. Creatine is a very uh, popular supplement these days. And I think that uh, both men and women are taking creatine to improve their performance as they get into the gym. So the nice thing about the vitamin shop is we have products on everything from, you know, healthy vitamins, probiotics, and all those immune. But we also do have all the things people need if, if uh some of us might have to uh, focus on some weight loss coming out of COVID or just getting, getting back in the gym. So business is good, a little bit different. Um, of course, people are back in the stores, but the big move to digital hasn't slowed down. So people are pre-shopping um, more than ever. You know, one study I read that said uh, almost 80% of people shop online even before they visit a store. So we're seeing that and we're seeing all the omni-channel capabilities we implemented um, Buy online, pick up in store, curbside. Um, those remain very popular, even uh, as the stores are back open. Very cool. How about new partnerships with different brands and, and different ways for people to maybe take their protein or things on the go since they're back in the gym? Have some of those relationships changed? Yeah, I'll tell you what's been really exciting is a lot of the brands are finding some nostalgic um, flavors. So everything from Oreos and, and Ghost Protein and Rise has a Sunny D. And uh, there's all these really fun, different flavors and nostalgia. And so it's really nice, especially for people my age, that things when we ate sugary cereal as kids, we can get that same taste back, you know, as a, in a healthy uh, protein alternative. So that's a big, big trend. And uh, as people look, it's, it's fun, it tastes good, and it, it brings back memories. So what more could you want? That's very cool. I have a funny story about Quest Protein because they're still forever going to be one of my favorite protein bars. And they market like crazy how you can turn their protein bar into cookies by basically cutting it up in four or six pieces and sticking an air fryer. I bought an air fryer 
because of Quest marketing their protein bars as cookies. And that's probably the bulk of what I use it for. So it's brilliant. It's like making a healthy alternative to these very, you know, unhealthy but yeah if you're gonna have a cookie i'd much better have a whey protein cookie i love it yeah so thank you quest protein for my air fryer that i found other uses for um they're such a great brand too so i love it tried their quest peanut butter cups oh yes oh i'm addicted those are favorite around here that's another great social media one where you have your oatmeal and you mix the reese's cup in it and have peanut butter oh it's so good yeah, I, and I was thinking about giving those out for Halloween, you know, maybe a little healthier snack for the kids. Yeah, they've done a great job that it doesn't taste protein dense like previous. So I think the technology is there is that you can have Oreos in your protein and it's it's not, you know, nutritionally negative to you at all. Um, so I'm a huge fan. How about the in-store experience? Have you guys made some investments to encourage people to come back to the store? Yeah, the most exciting thing. Again? The most exciting thing we're doing right now in stores is mobile point of sale. So, you know, we had the traditional legacy cash registers. I think some of the ones we have are uh, old enough to drink. You know, those things are ancient and um, ancient. And now we're able to check our customers out on an iPad. And so we have that rolled out to 250 of our 700 stores. And what's nice is you can actually interact. And sometimes a store... We call our store employees health enthusiasts. You'll get stuck behind the cash register and you're not out interacting. So to be able to be talking to the customer and um, explaining some of the ideas and options and show product out in the sales floor and then just ring up the person right there has really been great. And another thing that's really fun is we can take it on the road. So with a couple of iPads, we can load up uh, some products and go out to events and things like that. And so... Of course, that was all shut down for the last two years, but this spring, we're really going to be out there in a big way um, with vitamin shop booths and tents at, uh, at events. Very cool. Well, and there's this thought too. I think I've processed it with other retailers in the past of there being a little bit of a disconnect when the transaction is, you know, face-to-face versus side-by-side. So you can have that iPad, you can be looking at your protein, making suggestions, and it be this side-to-side experiential together for the purchase, it just enables the relationship to be that much more valuable versus kind of you're taking my money from me and a little bit more stiff. Yeah. And think about this, right? If you're, um, say you're signing up for loyalty, it's hard for people to spell your name when you're reading it off to them in a loud store, but if they just hand it to you and you can type in your own name and your own email and your own phone number, you're happier that everyone's happier and a much better chance you're going to get it right than some clerk that's just listening across a counter. Yeah, that's a great point. How about this uh, undercover boss experience that the vitamin shop had? I loved the episode. I thought Sharon did such a great job, but what were some of the learnings from that? And what were some of the even maybe benefits that the brand saw by having that publicity? Yeah, it was wonderful. And we all had watch parties and we were very excited. Uh, The thing about it was it actually was filmed almost a year before it was on TV. And we all had to sign NDAs and were sworn to secrecy. So uh, some of the stuff that happened was, you know, was pretty um, old news for us, but it came out. But ultimately, Sharon Lighty, our CEO, has always been so passionate about the customer. And really, um, in this case, if mostly I would say the customer was our health enthusiast and understanding what they go through in a day to day and the just the empathy of walking in their shoes. I mean, I think that's what the show is all about. Sharon says, and she says it a lot, that it actually changed her life. And it's so fascinating because Sharon's always been 
in stores. I mean, she came up through store operations, so it's not like going to stores was new for her, but it's different when you go to stores as the VP of stores or the SVP or the CEO, right? You're, you're going to be treated differently than if you're Marie, who's just starting today. So it was great. There are a few things embarrassing for me when the register crashed, but you know, we, uh, we learned our lesson and, and worked on that and made sure we make our network more robust. And um, again, it happened, right? It wasn't staged. That really happened. And, and that was true. So I remember at the moment, uh, Sharon sent me a text and said, well, the register crashed and it's going to be on TV. <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. But At least you got a warning. I got a warning. I had uh, 10 months to kind of get over it, you know, before it actually was on TV and to do something about it, which is most important. So, uh, and there was a lot they filmed that didn't make the cut. I mean, it's just 45 minutes on television, but that, that was still important. The people we talked to, the story she got to hear, what the things we did for those people. So it was bigger than what you saw on TV for us. It was more stores, more distribution centers, and more uh, health enthusiasts that, that got to work with Sharon on the show. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I saw the three health enthusiasts, as you call them, and all had parts of their lives changed as well. I mean, one gave me goosebumps and choked me up a little bit. And um, Sharon was just so genuine in all those exchanges. And, and then when she wasn't Sharon, she was a great actress, too. Um, definitely got them bought in and invested in who Marie was and how they were going to bring Marie along. And then um, as a benefit to that, their lives were impacted. And I'm sure they're going to be very committed to the vitamin shop long-term based on that interaction. Yeah, and a little behind the scenes, um, she was talking about having to get up very, very early, I think 5 a.m. for makeup and the process oh. and the travel. You know, it was pretty grueling for her. And then she's still running the business so late at night you know, making sure checking in and see what's going on. So yeah, it was pretty big for her. And uh, like I said, she uh, she's thrilled she did it. Um, You asked about, you know, the impact for the vitamin shop and uh, by our estimates, over four and a half million people saw the episode. And so we've really seen a spike in awareness and um, interest in the company from, from that show. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Hopefully you'll get four and a half million people watching this. Yeah. Hey, one can dream, right? Exactly. So let's switch to the Andy show then. Um, and what you've been up to is writing a book, which I know has been a dream for you for a long time. So it's so cool that you were able to accomplish that. Probably the quietness of COVID helped a little bit, but you took it very seriously, treated it like a business and have been really focused on it being able to advance your career. So walk us through inspiration, the journey, and then even through release, what that looked like just last month. Yeah, well, look, thanks for buying it. It's really feels good to have you hold yeah. up the book. And uh, it's really it's still kind of surreal to me that it's real. It, it was a it was a journey, but I was um, in the role of CIO or CTO. So head of an IT department for 20 years at three different companies. And I really just felt like I learned a lot. And, and a lot of the things I learned were the hard way through mistakes and, you know, hard knocks. And so I felt like it was the right time to put a lot of my stories and experiences down on paper and to hopefully help someone on their, their career journey. And, uh, you know, there's, there's someone out there and maybe someone watching this that's considering an IT leadership career um, to maybe to be a director of VP or a CIO. And I'm hoping that that person will pick up my book and get some tips or maybe someone running an IT department. And I just believe so strongly that we all go up together. And so if there's just like even one thing that, that someone can get from my book. So I'm thrilled about it. And yeah, I wrote it during that winter of COVID you know, on weekends, I made a big pot of coffee, got up early and just, uh, I'd write till, till I couldn't write anymore. And, uh, but 
it's a whole different world publishing. And I learned so much about that, you know, and uh, from when I put my pen down or my, my uh, virtual pen, cause I wrote it on my Mac to the book came out was over a year. Okay. So writing book proposal, finding an agent, you know, selling the book and then all the different rounds of editing. So yeah, it was over a year. So uh, it was interesting, but, but yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. And uh, so far people like it. So that's the best part. That's awesome. Have you shared it with your team as well? So they can get a glimpse into how you think about. Yeah. You know, we're kind of, a lot of us are remote, but I bought a couple hundred copies and have them in my office. And uh, the one thing that really surprised me is people are interested in the signed copy of the book. And, you know, I don't have the best penmanship, but Hey, I'll scribble my name on your book. You know, people are interested. And uh, so, yeah, of course. So yeah. When I'm back in the office and we all get together, definitely sign some copies for the team. Very cool. None of them will be surprised by a single thing in the book though, right? They've been working with me for three years, so they kind of know my values and my goals and my, my practices, but, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you been good about vocalizing those before the book release though? Like, do you have this ecosystem of where you make sure your team does know about Andy's hierarchy of IT needs, or is it something that like you even maybe through the experience of writing a book, were able to put pen to paper and be like, wow, this is what I believe. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I mean, absolutely, these principles that are in the book are what I believe in. I talk about it. But look, we're not perfect at the vitamin ship. I mean, just talked about the register going down on national television. So there certainly are some things in the book that are aspirational, even for our shop, right? So there's clarity about where we're going. But as far as having written strategy and alignment and understanding that keep the lights on, all that stuff is, is in place. And um you know, I'm COO now, so I, I'm not directly over the IT. The IT does report up to me, but but the, the three people running the IT department, I think they're really in lockstep with some of the values. And, and just like I talk about in the book, we are running IT at the vitamin shop in a way that makes sense for the vitamin shop. So not exactly from my book, because my book is experiences from different com- companies and different industries. But yeah, um, I think that there's nothing in there that anyone would be surprised by. Um, okay. Other than myself going, yeah, we're not quite at that top on some of them, but look, it's true for everybody. It's a journey and, and we're all at some stage along, along the way. Okay. I've yet to meet the perfect IT department. I don't care how big your company is. I right? you talk to the biggest companies or the smallest companies and they all have challenges and uh, that's what, what I'm trying to help with. Yeah. The perfect anything, business, gym, like, I mean, we all are striving for perfect but yeah does it exist well and it's a dynamic world right so even if you have things just right then uh things change i mean there's a quote in my book that uh complacency is the enemy of uh reliability because if you get complacent then you know you might not change but the world around you will Mm -hmm. and it starts at the personal level i think before you can even bring it to a business environment if you're complacent in your personal life how are you going to be innovative and pushing the limits at work because to, which I want to dive into these hierarchy of IT needs. If your basic needs are not met, then you really can't show up with your A game when you're actually getting to work to apply what you need to do. Yeah, you have to have your own house in order, right? Mm-hmm. Before you, you come to work. So whether it's your relationships or your financials, you just really do. And uh, I actually listened to a Navy SEAL once talk about that. And he's like, I don't want to be in a firefight next to a person who's worried about, you know, paying his bills or is, you know, some issue with his child's school. So, you know, he's like, as a commander, they pack him up and send him home and say, Hey, you know, get your stuff in order before you come back. And so we're not life or death. 
fortunately, uh, no one's shooting at us, but it's the same thing. We want everybody to, to bring their A game and we want to make sure they're focused on and COVID has disrupted a lot of people and their family and how they work. And so hopefully uh, people will settle in and get that resolved so that they can, they can be their full selves at work and at home. Yeah. You guys had a great example of it back to the show with undercover boss. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but there was a guy who was only part-time at vitamin shop. And though he was killing it part-time, the ask at the end was, Hey, what do you need to be full-time with us? And Sharon made that happen so that he could be that much more effective and all in for what needed to be accomplished for the day without worrying about paying his bills and taking care of his family. I thought that exactly. was a really great cool. example. Yeah. So talk to us about this hierarchy of needs, where you kind of came across that. I know there's, you know, three, four different levels to it. What is really the foundation of it? And what was the inspiration to really have you put this to paper and put it all together? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, the most important thing for any IT department is just keeping the lights on KTLO. And I don't mean figuratively the lights, but it could be that, but it's that your paychecks are printing and your products are shipping and your warehouses are running. And when people get log in, you know, you walk into a room and flip the switch, you expect the light to go on. And when you log on to the internet, it's the same thing, right? And so a lot of people get bored by that or they don't think it's important, but it is by far the foundation you know, you don't uh, build a building without first digging a big hole and fill it with concrete. And that's what KTLO is. So making sure that everything that you're responsible for is working is key. And so I do delve into redundancy and, and why you need redundancy and communication. But a lot of this is about people. And, and my whole book is really about people. And, you know, I had some one of my early readers say, wow, there's a lot of talk about people, because that's the secret to being a great CIO is to be a people focused leader. Um, it's not about the tech, right? It's the people that, that actually deliver. So, so that's the foundation is keep the lights on and everything has to start there. If you're trying to innovate, which is what the book's about is an environment to innovate. Just imagine you're in a room brainstorming with your exec team and all of a sudden, you know, people start buzzing because they can't get on or they can't finish the close the books. You know, you gotta, you have to excuse yourself, right? You get kicked out of the room. So you have to earn the right. I mean, everybody demands a seat at the table and you, there's a whole book called a seat at the table. The key is to be invited to the table. And one of the um, ways you can do it is to have you know, everything working well so that you're not having to be the, the chief firefighter. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Wi-Fi, VPN, taking care of your partners. Yeah. So let's go up the, let's go up the hierarchy. So after KTLO is what I just call lean and efficient IT. And I have, I sum this up in one sentence, get it right and then get it cheap. Like imagine if you're having a huge problem, you know, and the only person that could fix it's $500 an hour, you're going to hire that person because you got to get it right. But once you get it right and you start to build in some processes and documentation and repeatability, then you can really drive costs out of IT. And um, the nice thing about technology is it always gets better and it always gets cheaper. What doesn't are people, right? And so what you don't want to do is have people spending their time doing things a computer can do better. So automation. RPA and let people really work on the, the things that really uh, inspire them and engage them. But the reason it's important to have IT um, running smoothly is back to wanting to innovate. If you can free up some money in IT that can then be reinvested in innovation, you can self-fund. Also, if you're not hitting your budget, it's really hard to go beat on someone else's door and go, I want to help you be more efficient. You know, they're going to look at you and, and you're not going to have credibility. So KTL, keep the lights on, then have a lean and efficient IT department. 
So only then can we move up to creating value. And creating value is what a lot of people just think is all that IT does. These are the projects that we do, right? It's like the vitamin shop we put on Instacart during COVID. It was a project and it creates value because now we have another channel and more people sell. Or it might be that you put in a new process that, that makes you more efficient in distribution or your web. So all these projects are really, really key. And the big thing I emphasize on that is not about just project management capabilities, but making sure you're working on the right things, right? Imagine if you're in charge of building train tracks and you build the most beautiful train tracks to the East, but the business is like, oh, but we're going to the West, right? So you could have a successful project. It could be on spec. It could be the shiniest, prettiest train tracks, but if they're not going where the company's going, that project's a failure. Even if every metric on time, on budget, to spec could all be uh, A plus checks if it's not where your business is going. So prioritizing the work and aligning the work to the business objectives are what create values about. So now where are we, right? We got a nice firm foundation, everything's working, it's affordable and uh, you're, you're delivering value. Now, all of a sudden, now we can innovate. Yeah. Because now you're gonna ask to take maybe your best and brightest employees off of their day job um, you're asking the company, when you innovate, you're asking the company to spend money, or I call it time, talent, and treasures mm-hmm. on something that probably won't work. That's a very big ask. So how do you even make that ask? Well, if you're running a nice, smooth, reliable, stable, affordable um, IT department that's creating value daily through, through delivering capabilities, why not ask, right? It, it, you know, because you, you have credibility. So a lot of this, I don't know how much I talk about, but a lot of it is about establishing credibility so that you can be trusted to take risk. Good. I like it. And then that innovation can flow all the way down through the pyramid to make every single level that much stronger. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know if I ever thought about that. You can use innovation to be more reliable, right? You can use, mm-hmm. say, AI on... Uh, uptime, maybe detect if a server or a cloud is having problems. I'm always like to say that servers get sick before they die. So you got to be listening. You know, is it, mm-hmm. is it telling you, Hey, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use that to drive cost. If you can maybe get more features out of a single product instead of having to stitch together or use uh, more composable APIs and have kind of these Lego blocks, then you can deliver value more efficiently. So yeah, it is. There's a nice cycle there. And I'll, I'll put that stronger. in my second uh, version of my book. I'll have to. I love it. Yes. So see. yes, book two. Are you already thinking through some ideas and have a vision for, for another release? I am. Um, it's ironic though. Um, the next book I want to write, and I've actually have some notes already, is not about IT or leadership or business. It's actually about the process of writing a book. Cool. This was an entire new world for me. Publishing has nothing to do with anything I ever did. And it operates differently. They think differently. And uh my working title is going to be, dude, I wrote a book and so can you. So I love it. So we'll see. That's but yeah, awesome. that's my idea because I think especially when people get to a certain point in their career and their age, they've got a lot to share. And so, mm-hmm. and it's a different world now, you know, you can, if you can't get a publisher, you can self-publish. So everybody could, could put a book, book out there if, if they just know the steps. So yeah, I'm going to encourage people that have good ideas. I mean, I think every day I meet someone that says they, they want to write a book or they're going to write a book or they started writing a book, you know, and uh, I was telling that to my daughter who's 26 years old and she said, none of my friends want to write a book. So I think it's just the age of the people I hang out with, that's but so certainly cool. everyone my age is, is interested in the idea. Yeah, that's very cool. There's another piece you highlight in the original book I wanted to touch on too, 
which was this being an empathetic leader, because that hit me just through my own personal experience that empathy is not at all a real inherent thing in business. Um, it has to be something that's learned and developed over time. And I mean, you came from a true IT coding in a closet background. I mean, you were boots on the ground for years and years before you took a leadership step. So what was that journey of you learning? Oh, it is all about people. And I've got to be an empathetic leader to really be impactful. Yeah. The thing that hit me along the way, like people always ask, what's your leadership style? And, you know, it kind of pushes leaders to try to say, here's how I lead. But the true answer should be that that depends from person to person and from task to task. Mm -hmm. So like one of the trainings that I went to early in my career was called situational leadership. And we really talked about that you lead differently depending on different situations. And, you know, so there's some people I work with that before we get rolling on Monday morning, they would really appreciate how was your weekend? How's your family? What'd you do? And uh, there's other people who would rather you just go, yo, hey, let's go. What are sales figures, you know, and dive right in. And so to me, one simple part of empathy is listening and paying attention to those cues and giving each individual what's best for them. So instead of saying, oh, my style is to spend 20 minutes talking about the weekend or my style is not, to, you know, just to jump in. Really, what if your style is my style is to adapt to the individual I'm working with? And this could be the same, you know, not just in that example, but in every example, maybe some people want more details, some need less, some want more support, some want less, right? So just really empathetic leader to me is paying attention to what each of your team members need and what they respond to, and then molding your leadership style for that moment. Yeah. I think once you do get a grasp on that is when you can become a leader, because until then you definitely still have this very close individual contributor mindset. And it's hard to think outside yourself. I mean, I think of like, I have family that has multiple children and I do not. And it's hard for me to go, oh, how, what does a kid need? Like, oh, you got to be home from two to four for nap time. Like you just don't think about it if you're not in that position. But once you've gone from being an individual contributor to, hey, now it's about my team, what they have going on, their feelings, you know, being empathetic towards their scenario, you now are ready to become a leader and take that next step of actually guiding a group versus just being a contributor to what's going on. Yeah. You know, we do a lot with uh, DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, we bring in a lot of successful people and hearing sometimes uh, these African American women who have succeeded in business, you know, back when it was so difficult and, not, and still is difficult, but the things they, you know, having to get up early and do some of the family things. And then by the time they roll into the office at 8am, they might've been already working for three hours where I might wake up not exaggerating 15 minutes before work starts, you know, I got to jump in the shower head to work. And so it's such a different life. And so um, understanding that has really been uh, helpful to say, wow, it's very impressive. I like it. Let's talk a little bit more about what you've done personally to be a really good leader too. Like with that morning routine, I know you're an avid fitness person kind of goes hand in hand with your day-to-day -day of actually being within the fitness and healthcare ecosystem, but what does your routine look like? What are things that you're really intentional about to make sure you're at the top of your game and definitely always being able to be consistent in your delivery? Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan on LinkedIn and there's always a poll. Are you a morning person or an evening person? And I will tell you that it feels like almost every successful executive I know has become a morning person. So getting up at whatever time. So you have time for me, it's about 
the first thing I do is really just check on the figures from the day before, you know, make sure nothing's on fire. So I kind of have that brief moment. Then if everything's good, have some coffee, read the news, keep up with that. And then I, I get in the gym, you know, at least six days a week. And uh, it could be, and I care. I, it's important to me that I um, check the box because I think the power of habit is so important. So if I wake up and just not feeling I want to work out, I'm at least going to at least maybe walk on the treadmill for 15 minutes. In the days I'm really feeling it, you know, I might really uh, knock out a tough workout on a Peloton bike. It, um, as I've gotten uh, more knowledge from working at the vitamin shop, I realize the importance of strength training. So actually lifting weights and following a program. So, and then after that, you know, it's a shower breakfast and, and get on, on video. And uh, this is what I love about remote work. That's time when I lived, you know, when I was going on uh, commuting by train, it's either you're getting up a lot earlier, which you do, or uh, you kind of get that time back. So right now we're working hybrid and we probably will for the foreseeable future. So um, finding ways to do that, even when I am commuting is key. But in, in all cases, for me, it's about it's about taking advantage of that time in the morning. I always tell people you're a lot more available at 6 a.m. than you are at 6 p.m. And, you know, if you're a CIO, it could be that something ran over, someone wants to talk to you, or you get invited to a happy hour or dinner or family, or you go want to go see uh, your, you know, your, your children and their sports, whatever it is. But none of those things really are scheduled for 5.30, 6 a.m., so. I would say to anyone who really wants to be executive, figure it out. Um, how do you get up early? You got to go to bed early. <laughs> that's yep. that's the key. Yeah, no, that's good. And I love your power of habit comment too. I've learned is sometimes, especially when I have like extreme soreness from a really hard race weekend or just life is hard. And like, I don't want to work out. If I at least put myself together and step foot in that gym, that's a win at least like I'm getting in the habit. I'm walking mine's downstairs, walking downstairs. I'm showing up. Maybe I'm there for 15 minutes or who knows, like all of a sudden, you know, it takes an hour and a half and I get really into it and I actually get a great workout, but at least just showing up, getting in that routine, stepping downstairs, laying foot in the gym. Like that is at least a win because I showed up. Cause if you don't do that, three days goes by, four days goes by and you get in the habit of not laying foot in the gym. I talked to someone once and she said to me, she goes, yeah, I work out every day of my life since I was like 18. And I was really moved by that. Right. There was no debate. There's no literally works out every day of her life and has for years. And so I'm not there, you know, I do miss a few workouts here and there, but I take a planned day off. I take Monday mornings off on by plan because mm-hmm. usually busy week after the weekend and uh, I'm getting up there in age. So I take one day off, but that's in the plan. And then the other six, I try to get there, get out there. That's good. There was something I saw just recently with uh, the beloved (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger and somebody asked him about his fitness and working out and he's like, oh, I work out every day. And they're like, really, how do you do that? He's like, I sleep every day. I eat every day. Like, why would I not work out every day? It's part of living in life and being consistent. Mm -hmm. Like, it just wouldn't make sense if you were like, oh, I'm just not going to eat today. What? (laughs) (laughs) So it was a good perspective of like, oh yeah, it it needs to just be this basic move, be active because it's good, not only for your body and your, you know, internal health, but mental health too. Oh my gosh. Especially in COVID, like just getting out and doing a walk for 30 minutes was a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Right. It's just a part of a normal routine. And so it's not a thing he does anymore. It's just, it's just who he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your favorite form I believe is biking. 
Is that correct? I love cycling. Yeah. I, uh, cycling, I yeah. like to get outside on the weekends, ride my road bike. And um, mm -hmm. I pretty much, if it's above 40 degrees, that's my, my lawn. I know people in colder yeah. climates think that's crazy and people in warmer think it's crazy. But for me, I've got the right clothes and gear, but it, um, I'd much rather be outside. And uh, if I go on a two hour bike ride, it doesn't even feel like exercise to me. You know, at the end I'm sweating, but it just is uh, where I do a lot of my thinking. I think a lot of the thinking on the book came from those long bike rides, but yeah, it's, it's magical. I'm not racing anybody, you know, I'm just, I'm just out doing my thing. So that's, that's my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you on the indoor, like, um, I have a Peloton bike in uh, one of the gyms that I work at and mm -hmm. I love it. It's fun, but I, I don't like to ride indoor more than 30 minutes. So when I'm indoor, I'll do intensity. When I'm outdoor, I'll do uh, slow endurance kind of a thing. Very cool. And just let your mind wander or even maybe go into it with a problem and problem solve. Yeah. Now when I bike ride in New York city, I don't get to, my mind doesn't wander that much. Yeah, I'm that's trying true. to kill me. So it's pretty dangerous, but you know, doing laps at Central Park, it's six miles around. So I can do three or four laps and, and that's kind of fun. That's great. I love it. Now I want to switch gears to one final part of every episode that I like to spend a little time. And there's a lot of these principles, I think, that you live by encompassed in your book. But I wanted to hear if you had to pick one, what is the core principle that you've lived by to be successful in business? Yeah, let me share something. Um, I have something in my book and it's just one of a list of 10 things, but it really um, hit me actually after I wrote it. And it's this idea of being a diode. And so a diode is an electronic component you find inside a computer. And we've all heard of LEDs and actually that stands for light emitting diodes. Mm -hmm. But what a diode is, it's an electronic component that lets electricity flow freely from one direction to another. But if it comes the other way, it blocks it. So just think about it. it's heading this way, smooth sailing, it heading this way, it stopped. Um, the reason that's so important is electronics. It's how we do on and off with, with switches. So that's how computers work with diodes. So um, I, I knew this principle and I really tried to apply it to leadership. And the idea is that anything good that comes to me about work, you know, whether it's a new system or process, I don't bask in the glory. I let that go right through me to the team. So as a leader, don't say I did this, right. You know, say, yeah, the team did it. And you'll watch great leaders always say that, right. You give them a, they win an award and they say, I'd like to thank the team sports, you know, the running backs will thank the offensive line, but just let it all just go right through you. But the opposite way, any kind of crap or complaints or trouble, you block that. That stops with you and you protect your team. So if you're actually being a diode as a leader, all your team hears is when things go well and they don't take the, the crap, right? So I say as leaders, we get paid to take the blame. When a register goes down on TV, that's on me right? It's my job. I'm responsible for that organization. So that's fully my responsibility. And, you know, the fact that it happened is, you know, me letting the team down, not them letting me down. So I have, uh, I, I have merch, you can see it'd be a diode mug. And there uh, you go. Yes. But, but yeah, that's probably a, a principle that uh, I always kind of did, but it, it became clear when I was writing the book and put it on paper, how important it was to me. Very cool. I had never even heard of a diode before. So yeah, I actually make spent that the first popular. year of my college in electrical engineering, and uh, ah, okay. so I learned a little bit more than uh, the average person on this this topic. Very cool. I think that's great, and thank you so much for sharing. So, Andy, this was a blast. Everybody, go pick up his new book, 
you'll get a lot from it. Keep an eye out for audiobook coming up, book number two coming up of how you can also join the book writing club and keep an eye out for what Andy and the vitamin shop are up to. You'll I'm sure see them more and more out in the field being part of fitness events and uh, maybe even another episode of undercover boss or who knows what we'll see what happens. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks for your time, Andy. We'll see you again soon. Have a great day. (music) 